This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes. And Steve, as you know, I'm one of the few resident Paul-leaning people at the Weekly Standard. But I, I got to tell you, with the Iran deal in the background, he could hardly pick a worse time to be launching, launching his small government libertarian neo-isolationist campaign. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a challenging environment, certainly. In, in part or in large part because of Iran, but also because of what we've seen, you know, really over the past two years, four years, six years with the president's basically non-interventionist approach is sort of mirroring, at least philosophically, what Rand Paul has prescribed. Remember back in 2012 when he gave a speech um, in Washington laying out his sort of broad foreign policy vision you had strong supporters of the Obama foreign policy doctrine, to the extent that there is one, uh, embracing Rand Paul and saying he sounds like a supporter of Barack Obama. So given what we've seen over the past six years, uh, and in particular, as you suggest, right now with the, the agreement or the framework or whatever it is with Iran, this is a tough time for him to announce. Uh, you know, and uh, there are two different ways to go with that. Well, let's start with the Iran part first, and then to the broader uh, Senator Paul vision of the world. But you know, the, watching the Iran deal, watching the mess that it's already turning into, where and please, you fall as close than I am, but apparently the Iranians are saying, "Hey, we never agreed." To, what are you talking about? We, we don't, so the White House is saying, "Oh, don't worry, we got it covered. Don't worry, we got the, the inspections. Don't worry, we've got." You know, a monitoring, and the Iranians are going. Oh, we're not going to have any cameras in our facilities. What are you talking about? It kind of feeds the fundamental notion uh, from a certain wing of the Rand Paul supporters, Steve, which is basically, you know, it's just the federal foreign policy is such a mess. The the least bad option is to just stay out of it, protect your borders, and stay home. Right, and look, I mean, Rand Paul made that that case explicitly in his announcement speech, and he said. Why would you think that a government that's inept at home would be good at conducting foreign policy, specifically nation building abroad? And I think that's likely to have some resonance uh, among a certain segment of Republicans uh, and, and maybe even Democrats. But the broader problem is, is, is this embrace of sort of uh, engagement with, you know, basically with enemies without winning anything. And I think we're seeing that just as, as you point out, I mean, just terms of this framework, right now we're talking about something that is so broad that it's open to interpret different interpretations from you know not only the parties that are that are uh, part of the discussions, part of the negotiations, but everybody else as well. And the fact that they can't agree on very simple things like when the UN sanctions will be lifted, if they're lifted, uh, what SNAP inspections mean. <clears throat> excuse me. Does that mean? just nuclear sites? Does it mean military sites? Does it mean intelligence sites? Does it mean everything? The fact that they can't agree on those very important aspects of the deal 
suggest that this is a bad deal. And, and again, there's a difficult framing for the Rand Paul announcement. Uh, and once again, a little bit more about Iran before we get more specifically about Iran, uh, Rand Paul. I, I'm just trying to figure out, are we in a place where Iran and President Obama so desperately want to declare a deal that they just got close to one and then ran away from the table going, yes, we got it, without working it out? Or is it the case, and this is what I've, has been told to me, Steve, is that they both sides know where they're really heading and they're essentially going home to, to put a polite word to it, dissemble to their you know, domestic audiences about what it is because they know it won't be popular. And then they'll get back at the end and get this deal. And by that point, it'll be too late. They'll have gotten buy-in on a deal people think they're getting. And when the final deal isn't that deal, well, you know, there you go. Yeah, I, I think that that's partially true. Although I think the Iranians have a much easier job of selling this than the Americans. We've seen that just given the reaction from a, a wide variety, whether you're talking about the head of the IRGC who gave his blessing to this, whether you're talking about the, the mullahs and the, the leadership uh, in Iran, whether you're talking about uh, Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah yesterday said that this will enhance uh, Iran's wealth and will enhance their power and influence in the region. I mean, you've seen a pretty broad embrace of the deal, uh, including on the Iranian street, such as it is, uh, on the Iranian side. So I don't think they've got nearly as much selling because basically this is a this is a, a complete capitulation by the West, by, by the United States. I think President Obama has a much tougher job selling a deal that fundamentally changes uh, the, the scope of Iran's uh, nuclear program and what the West and the rest of the civilized world is requiring of them. Remember, the U.N. sanctions that were in place required Iran to basically walk away from its nuclear program to, to disable uh, huge, vast parts of its nuclear program to suspend enrichment. All of these things that have been basically thrown aside by the Obama administration in its rabid pursuit to get a deal, to get any deal. I mean, we've seen in comments, you know, reporting in recent days and, and going back uh, a couple of years that President Obama sees this as the centerpiece of his foreign policy legacy. You heard Ben Rhodes in comments that were taped, uh, I think, about two years ago, say that he views uh, a deal with Iran, he views this rapprochement with Iran the same way that he viewed Obamacare on the domestic side. So it's central to his legacy. I think they will do everything possible to avoid having some kind of collapse. And you can be sure that if there is a collapse, they will, as the president has telegraphed, first blame Congress and blame Republicans rather than blaming the Iranians for, uh, for their intransigence. So Iran is a bad backdrop for uh, Senator Paul. My suggestion, uh, Steve, was that he do his announcement out uh, right next to a TSA line at a major U.S. airport. Because <laughs> while the the downs, you know, the downside of small government, leave me the hell alone, as as Senator Paul says, and ending the surveillance state is that you know you're leaving the world free to your enemies and you're simply defending your border. The upside is you end this 
treatment of American citizens that, as you pointed out a couple of years ago, was very front and center as the NSA stories breaking and, and, and typical people discovered that, yes, your cell phone records, yes, your Internet you know, activities being uh, stored, yes, your cars, the license plates being photographed and being stored, and yes, you and your grandmother have to get groped when you want to fly to Disney for spring break. So that's where – is is there still any energy behind the leave me the hell alone wing of American politics? Yeah, I, I think there's some, and I think you've heard this from, from Rand Paul in his announcement speech. I mean, he made this, this reference to uh, the IRS, restraining the IRS. He talked, uh, I would say, very enthusiastically about his uh, wanting to sort of cripple the NSA. Um, it was interesting listening to his entire speech, to me at least. You could tell the parts of the speech where he was sort of going through the motions, where he was walking through saying what he was basically supposed to say to make himself a potential candidate with broad appeal in a Republican party today. And the parts of the speech where he was very enthusiastic and passionate about the things he believed and nowhere in that entire speech was he more passionate than in his discussion of the NSA and warrantless wiretapping and, and these things. And he's made comments, uh, I think ill advised comments in the past couple of weeks, sort of doubling down on that saying, you know, at South by Southwest, you know, somebody suggested that they cut off funds to the NSA, and he sort of jokingly embraced that kind of proposal. I think that was popular a couple of years ago. I mean, certainly there was part of, of uh, you know, not just the Republican base, but again, some Democrats who embraced the entire stand with Rand filibuster and were concerned about being droned as they uh, sipped their macchiatos at Starbucks. But I, I don't think that there was ever the kind of shift in the Republican Party that so many in the establishment media and so much of the, the conventional wisdom drivers had us believe at the time. I think the reason that people were so enthusiastic about what Rand Paul was doing there had much more to do with his willingness to confront the president in a head-on direct way and challenge what Barack Obama was doing rather than some deep suspicion that, you know, I, I can't walk to the corner Starbucks or I could get droned. Uh, but, but, you know, I've, I love the fact that uh, Rand Paul is in the presidential race. In fact, I am bothered that he's toning down his libertarian rhetoric and putting in more, you know, boilerplate because he has this belief that he can win. I don't think he can, but I think he can absolutely help both energize the party by reaching people who don't normally think of themselves as Republicans and looking at their brand a new way. And then he can also energize the debate by forcing Republicans who want big government solutions, and there are, in my opinion, far too many of them, to explain how their big government approach aligns with the small government individual liberty you know, uh, fundamentals that, that people assume Republicans are for. So I, I want to see lots of Rand Paul, I want to see lots of Marco Rubio, and I want to see lots of Scott Walker. And I want to see as little as possible of Mike Huckabee and Ted Cruz. That's a great way to build a party for the future. But I would, I would argue, I mean, I would actually include Ted Cruz in, in, in the first group. I mean, if you think about the people who were elected in 2010 and the energy that they will likely bring to this coming debate over the next year, year and a half, I mean, this is, this is going to be a much better debate among Republicans, among conservatives than we saw either in 20. 12 or in 2008. I mean, you've got, I would, I would argue six or seven or eight people who I would call visceral conservatives or movement conservatives who believe what they believe 
because they've thought about these things for years in many cases, and in some cases, decades. And these are conservatives who don't need to, to go to a focus group to tell, to, to learn how to talk to conservatives, how to speak that language, because it's the language that they've been speaking for their entire political careers. And in many cases before they came, became elected officials. So I think that's a, that's a, a great development for conservatives, for libertarians, for the sort of center right um, movement, liberty movement, freedom movement generally. And I think we'll see that kind of debate. And he does add to that. Rand Paul will add to that. And certainly I, he's nowhere near where I am on foreign policy and national security. And I, I worry about the things that he, he says about uh, in that realm. But there's no question that he has done an effective job of reaching out to different kinds of Republicans, of potential Republicans, and he will, as you suggest, energize that debate. And Stephen Hayes, you've energized our debate as well. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.